You know, uh, with my grandkids, I, I love um, when they come to our house. And so uh, sort of the special treat I like to buy them is uh, strawberry Pop-Tarts, you know, with the, the white icing on top and the sprinkles. How many of you like those? Well, their, their parents won't give them them because they think they're unhealthy. I think they're a fruit. Okay? And, and so when they come, we always have strawberry Pop-Tarts. Well, one time they were coming, and I made a bad mistake. I wasn't looking at the grocery store, and I got a pack of cherry Pop-Tarts. And let me just tell you, cherry Pop-Tarts are awful. They don't, they don't, they're not anything like strawberry. And so me and my two little Tays and George, three years old, man, we just made the biggest deal. No cherry Pop-Tarts. And if you want to get grandbuddy riled up, you just walk up in the middle of the day and say, cherry Pop-Tart. And I go, that's sick. That's gross. That's bad stuff. And so, you know, we just carry on that FaceTime. They'll just yell, cherry Pop-Tarts, and we know what's going on. The other day, though, Taze had a little friend over, a little girl over at his house, and, and they were playing, and they decided to play kitchen and to cook. And so she gets a little kitchen, and she said, I'm going to cook some green beans and fried chicken. And Taze, thinking he's being funny, says, I'm cooking cherry Pop-Tarts. And she just looked at him like, okay, Taze, if that's, that's what you want. And then she didn't respond the way he expected with laughter. So he just started screaming, cherry Pop-Tarts, cherry Pop-Tarts, cherry Pop-Tarts. And she looks at him like, you are one weird kid, okay? And guys, sometimes that's the way we are in the culture that we live in. We're saying some inside things. And, and everybody's not getting it. Uh, we want to go be able to just go out in our city and go, come to church, come to church, come to church. And everybody goes, oh, of course, everybody goes to church. We're going to church. But it doesn't work that way. In fact, I want you to write this down as we start taking notes because we need to understand this. Here is the uncomfortable truth. We are now the visiting team. Christians in America today are the visiting team. Listen, for generations, we, we had the home field advantage. I mean, everything tilted our way. The cheers, the tradition, the laws, the crowds, the folks who called the plays and the referees. We had the advantage. And today we find ourselves in a place where we're not the home team. In fact, the cheers are different than what we remember. The traditions are different. The crowds, in much part, are against us. And the cultural referees are always throwing flags on us. But here's what I want you to understand. There's good news this morning. The church has always played better as the visiting team. Many of you are athletes. I've heard many of you talk about, you know, you'd rather be the visiting team because when you're home, there's all kinds of distractions. When the crowd's against you and you're away, you completely focus on what you're doing. And it seems to me, whether you go to the, back to the first and second century, where the church was the visiting team, or you go to China under communism, the church has been more focused and actually more affected, effective than when it was the home team. And so we've got to learn to play on a different field. I love uh, Wayne Gretzky was the great hockey player, and uh, someone was asking him one day why he was such a good hockey player, why he scored more than anybody else in the history. And he said, here's what I do. He says, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be. You got that? And guys, that's what we're being challenged to as a church. We can't just keep skating to the same place. We've got to anticipate what's going on and skate to where the puck is and where we reach this culture. 
So we're in the middle of a shift, maybe a little slower here in the deep south, but a shift where it's not going to work with everybody for us just to say, come to us, come to church. We've got to shift to the point where we're saying we go to them. In movie terms, it's going from field of dreams where you say, if we build it, they will come. Used to be you could just put a church building anywhere and people would immediately come. That's not true anymore. We're more like Forrest Gump who says, you know what? I've got to go and I've got to find Bubba. In this war, I've got to go rescue him. And in the middle of that, he rescues, you know, Dan and all these other guys. We've got to go to them. And that's the shift that we're trying to make. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. This will be so simple today. For us to overcome the odds and play winning on this culture, we got to go back to the basics. So I want to invite you to go back to the most basic commandments in Scripture, Matthew chapter 22. We're, we're going to look at the great commandment. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And let's, let's determine this for a second. The Sadducees had tried to trap Jesus earlier in this chapter. Now, understand this. It's a, it's a pretty crazy trap because they asked Jesus about the resurrection. And if you've been married to five or six people, who will you be married to in the resurrection day? In heaven. Now, the crazy thing about that, why you know it's a trap, is the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And so Jesus knocks the ball of the park and says, hey, you know, in, in heaven there won't be marriage, so you're asking a silly question. Well, the Pharisees think, well, we can stump him. The Sadducees couldn't stump him. We're going to ask him a question that he's not going to be able to answer well. Look at what they ask in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, we know the answer. So we know Jesus is going to knock it out of the ballpark. But to them, this was an extremely challenging question. Because for the Pharisees, when they thought of the law of God, they had a list of 613 laws. And so they think this is, this is way too complex for Jesus. Of all the 613 Jesus, what do you think is the big deal? It wasn't too complex for Jesus. He had been waiting for this ball to come over the plate, and he's going to knock it out of the park. Listen to what he says. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And in case they want to think Jesus is saying something brand new, he says this in verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now here's what I want you to see today. And maybe you've been smarter and brighter and quicker than me. But there's a hidden word in the great commandments. And, and to me, it's the word neighbor. I mean, I, I cannot tell you the amount of times I've preached on this text because I think it's primary. I, I, I would say probably every four or five sermons it's referred to because it, 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 it is that foundation, Jesus says. But I, I cannot tell you that I've ever focused on the obvious word here that's been hidden to me, which is neighbor. You know, we, we take this text and we boil it down to a nice slogan. I love the slogan that says, we need to love God and love people. I say amen to that. 
But Jesus was more specific than that. He says you love God and you love your neighbor. And could it be true that Jesus actually meant your actual neighbor? That it's really that specific. Now I know the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. And I know Jesus expands the idea there. But understand, Jesus is responding to people that are using the command to love your neighbor to say, you know, I just got to love the people that are like me. I don't have to love people that are unlike me. And Jesus says, no, that's not right. But I still believe there's something that Jesus says is important. He said, this is so important. You see that, that, that hanging door, those two rolling hinges. Everything in the law and the prophets hangs off loving God and loving your neighbor. So we need to get this right. Let's focus today on just one part. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's actually two different interpretations as to what Jesus is saying. Number one is the one I've always assumed, is that you are to love your neighbor, number one, as you love yourself. And there's a lot of truth in that. Because if Jesus is saying that, what he's saying is, who doesn't love themselves? If you're hungry, you make sure you get food. If if you're sleepy, you make sure you get rest. We all take care of ourselves. And he's saying, if you could transfer the way you take care of yourself to the way you take care of your neighbors in your neighborhood, that'd be powerful. You know, your name is important to you. So it's nice to name your neighbors. It's important to you to pray for yourself. And so... You pray for your neighbors. I mean, really, this interpretation is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, the second interpretation, which I think contextually is probably more true, is love your neighbor as yourself means love your neighbor who is like yourself. You see, you got to understand this. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19.18. And just a few verses later, he defines this. In verse 34, listen to what God said to the children of Israel. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. What's he saying? How do you treat the immigrants? How do you treat people that aren't natives? You treat them the way you wanted to be treated because you understand they're like you. You were a foreigner. You were someone that wasn't a native. And you were treated right. And so what he's saying here is when you go into your neighborhood, understand that your neighbors are like you. Uh, Have you ever had issues in, in your life? Certainly they've got issues. Would anybody ever think you're a little bit weird? Sure. Probably name it in here, right? Uh, they may be weird, but you, do, do you have sin? Have you had sin issues in your life? Absolutely. They do too. And so, so I go understanding that they are much like me. You see, we always get in, hit, in trouble when we start looking at other people, whether skin color, ethnic background, socioeconomic background, is different. What messed up the world in the 1940s is that the Nazis could look at the Jewish people as being subhuman. That's how you get there. How do you kill 7 million of them? You don't think they're like you. 
How did we get to Charlottesville last weekend in 2017? Because we look at people as not being like us. They don't count the way we count. And Jesus says, if we're going to get good at, at, at obeying God's greatest commands, then we understand we're all on this level playing field. So I want to talk this morning about neighboring. I confess this is an area I need to grow in. Sometimes you preach a sermon and you go, wow, this will be easy. Uh, I, I sort of got this down pat. Today I preach a sermon, I'm going, okay, first of all, I'm preaching to Buddy. And if it hits you, that'll be nice, okay? Because I've never paid attention to that word neighbor. So why is neighboring so effective? Why does it work? Number one, it's obeying Jesus. Understand here, as you read this, this this is the greatest commandment, not the greatest suggestion. This is not a message you can come to and say, well, buddy's making a suggestion. We get more active with our neighbors. No, I'm not. Jesus is giving you a commandment that you be more active in your neighborhood. Now, listen, this is not just another evangelistic strategy. You can obey Jesus in this one, whether your neighbors ever come to the Lord or not. Obviously, in the long term, we'd love that to be the result, that someone connects with us and we are able to connect them with Jesus. But that's not the commandment. The commandment is for us just to love them the way God has loved us. And so, first of all, it's a commandment. Second, it's, it works because it's not a church program. Now, this is what I want to land on just for a moment. It's not a church program. It's not an event. I was reading somewhere... Churches come up with programs when Christian people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. I think there's some truth in that. We, we see an area that we're not meeting just naturally, so we've got to come up with a program to do it. And what I love about neighboring, my friends, is we're not talking about Landmark coming up with this great program that we've got to do and adding something else to your list of church things to do. This is not an event that we do. Now, I know as we become a more externally focused church, there will be some organized things we do in our community, especially among the marginalized and the poor. There there may be some events and even some programs we have to come up because maybe we don't naturally go in those areas. But we naturally go to our neighborhoods. And so we don't have to come up with some program here. We don't have to schedule some event here. We just go where we go every day. That's number three. This is doable. You live there. Now, what I love about this is it it boils it down to what I need to do. We've been praying this prayer. I hope you've been praying it with me over the last week. It's been changing my heart. God, help me to love Montgomery the way you love Montgomery. Now, we know in our city and wherever you may live, there's lots of issues. There's issues in the poor neighborhoods, and we may cover them up better in the the more affluent neighborhoods, but behind those doors, I'm telling you, the issues are just as big. And we look in our our neighborhoods, and we look in our city, and we go, wow, look at the poverty, look at the crime rate, look at the schools, look look at what we've got to handle. And I, I don't know about you, but often I just get overwhelmed, and so I do what? Nothing. Because I can't tackle it all. But I, I could tackle what's going on in my neighborhood. I was reading this week about the city of Denver. The mayor of Denver 
was invited to a meeting by a large group of the ministers in that city. And they just said to the mayor, we're here to serve the city of Denver. So, Mr. Mayor, would you tell us what we could do to make Denver a better place? And the mayor answered this way. The majority of issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just find out a way to be a community of neighbors. So the mayor says that, and he leaves. After the mayor leaves, there's just a bunch of preachers sitting around. And they're sort of, you know, just in awe of the simplicity of the mayor's answer. And finally, one of them speaks out. He says, am I the only one here a little bit embarrassed? I mean, here we are asking the mayor how we can serve the city. And basically, he tells us it would be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the great command and do what Jesus asked us to do. Isn't that crazy? Let's just go what Jesus asked us to do. And we, that's the key to us helping our community. Now, here's what I love about that. That's manageable. That's doable. And then number four, this is what I love about this for many of us. This is effective for both extroverts and introverts. A lot of times we come up with bold things to do here in church, and, and, and many of us, we, we just look at things that work for extroverts. And you go, man, I, you know, I, I can't do that. And this would work for an extrovert. You may be extroverted enough to go throw a block party in your neighborhood. You, you might be extroverted at some point to just put signs on the doors of every house in your neighborhood and say, hey, we're starting a Bible study on Monday nights. Would you come? Okay. But some of you are introverted. You're never going to do either one of those things. But you can get in a conversation with good listening skills over your back fence and connect with them. Or, or you can bake cookies for everybody new walk, moving into your neighborhood and take them. You can do that. This is not something just for extroverts. It's for, it's for all of us. And then number five, here's what excites me this morning. This is the natural way for us to shift as a church. Because we don't have to come up with some kind of super-duper plan that we've got to put a committee together and We've got to get the elders to vote on, and we've got to, to work all the details out. We just go home and love our neighbors. We just meet needs. Now, we know, guys. Why do you think every city tries to set up as many neighborhood watch programs as possible? Because if neighbors start being neighbors, crime's reduced. What would happen in this city if... If all of us just decided to find a way to serve the, the school that's closest to our house, whether our kids go there or not, we volunteer. What could this do for, for racial reconciliation? We talk about that a lot in this church. Because we don't have to have some program to do that. We just got to be the people of God. Now listen closely to me. If you live in a predominantly black neighborhood and a white person moves in, and, and you're not friendly to them, they're, they're, they're not going to think this is just not a friendly neighborhood. They're going to think you're prejudiced. And if you live in a predominantly white neighborhood or a predominantly white church like this and a, a black person shows up and you're not friendly, they're not going to go, well, that's just an unfriendly neighborhood or unfriendly church. They just can't help it. They're going to think it's a racist church. 
And so as our neighborhoods are becoming more and more diverse, thank God, this is our opportunity without a super-duper church program to say, you know what, we're here to bridge this gap. We can meet that need. So this morning, let me give you some steps to take. First of all, we're asking you today, before you leave in the foyer, there's a, there's a river region map, and we're asking you to go put a red pin where you live. We want to have a picture of where all of us scatter every week. And we want to have a board that we can pray over, your neighborhood and my neighborhood and everywhere we go. So please, please do that before you leave today. Number two, in your bulletin, in your lifelines, there is a, what we call a simple little neighboring chart. In the middle of the chart, you see a house that represents your home. Our challenge is for you to go and to try to fill this out. Now, if you're like me, this is going to be extremely convicting because I'm not going to do well. A on every house is what are the names of people who live close to you. B is what general information do you know about them, okay, where they work, you know, how many children they have. C is what personal information do you know? You know some of their hurts and dreams? Now, I'm telling you, my wife's going to do a whole lot better than this than me, okay? But, but this is revealing. Now, when Christians take this survey across the country, on A, about 10% of church people can actually fill out the names of their neighbors. On B, about 3% know some information. And on C, personal, about 1%. So we're all sort of the same boat here. But what a great exercise to not only fill this out to convict yourself, but to start trying to seek to know your neighbors and to complete this. Start it this week. And then number three, I want to challenge you to take a prayer walk in your neighborhood. Before you do anything, before you knock on any doors, before you, you throw the block party, before you deliver it, just pray. Because here's what I know. God's already working in your neighborhood. I read the Gospel of John this week. Jesus says, you know what? I don't start anything new. I just watch where my Father's working, and I do what He's doing. I will guarantee you that the God of heaven is already working in your neighborhood on people's hearts. And as you pray about it, He's going to reveal to you what you can do to join that. To join Him. You're not doing it by yourself. He's with you. So here's what I believe. As we pray about this and we brainstorm the next few weeks here, God's going to reveal to you a creative idea that will work in your neighborhood. But I want to share a couple of them with you right now. First of all, many of you live in, in Pike Road area. And, and there's a guy named Rick. Anybody seen this billboard about Ricky? Ricky's a guy who stands at the corner of Marler Road and Highway 80 every morning from early all morning long and waves at everybody going to work. Often people stop and, and he prays over them and he talks to them. And he just, I mean, I've heard so many people who live out there talk about what a blessing he is. Someone loved what he's doing so much, they erected this billboard that has his saying, too blessed to be stressed. I mean, what a, what a, what a creative idea. Now, God may reveal to you a completely different idea. I'm about to show you a video. And, and this is just a really, really cool idea. And it might be something you do, or it may be something that sparks your interest. But we're going to watch this about this turquoise table, and then we're going to meet around the table together. So watch it with me. As we come to conclusion this morning, and uh, we give you a chance to respond, 
I want to ask you to do a little self-evaluation just for a moment, and then let's, let's dream for a moment. The first question is, how are you doing on loving God and loving your neighbors? How are you doing on obeying the great commands? I, I would tell you, I, I would have felt pretty good about it until I threw that word neighbor in. And that's challenged me today. I hope it's challenged you. But then let's dream for a moment again. What would happen? What would happen if we got better at the two things Jesus said mattered the most? You know, often we leave this place with a list of things we need to do and projects and programs. And that's, that's good. But t- today, I want you to leave focus on one thing. And that's just loving your neighbor. I mean, just an easy application of what are you going to do when you ride back in that neighborhood? How are you ministering that apartment complex, at, at that dorm you live in? What will you do? Love your neighbor. You see, let me say this, though. We're not going to do good at either one of these commandments unless we first let God love us. You see, the way this is supposed to work is that we love because He first loved us. And so today, if if you're not experiencing the love of God in your life, it's going to be impossible for you to love God back. It's going to be impossible for you to love your neighbor. And so today in this place, may you experience the love of God. The Bible says that God lavishes His love on us. Would you right now, as we're just about to sing about Him and His glory, would you allow that love just to wash over you and and not to stop at you, not not to come to dead end with you, but in other words, for you to become a conduit. It's not selfish. It's for it to flow out around the people here today and to flow out of you when you get back to your neighborhood. Can you imagine what we would do if we just got a little bit better at obeying the things Jesus said mattered the most. Talking about scattering with power. So today, if, if you're not feeling the love of God and you need God's family to surround you and to pray for you, if you're ready to follow Jesus and be more obedient to His most basic commands and you want us to pray for you, if you're ready to become a Christian and follow Jesus, won't you come right now while we stand and sing?